When I say, gracious Lord, you respond, hear our prayers. Gracious Lord, hear our prayers. Abba Father, Jesus is the way. We pray for those who've drifted from the way, that they may heed the Spirit's prompting and return to you. We pray for those who are going slowly so that your love may quicken them. We pray particularly for those who oppose the way and attack its followers. May they repent and find the way for themselves. Jesus is the truth. We pray for those who deny there is truth and are lost in relativism. May they face up to the challenge and seek what Jesus offers. We pray for those caught in erroneous beliefs. May they encounter the truth and turn to it. Jesus is the life. We pray for those who are dead in despair, dead or dying in the frenzy of repeated sins. May they recognize life and find release from death's grip. Gracious Lord, hear our prayers. Abba Father, the news channels remind us of political change and challenges every day. We ask that every citizen of every country may consider the use of their votes and voices carefully, and that every Christian may pray and seek your will before making their choices on how to vote. We pray for leaders seeking answers to the conflicts in Iraq, Syria, and elsewhere. Grant them wisdom, patience, and compassion. We continue to pray for refugees as they seek safety and somewhere to settle. Touch all the peoples of Europe with compassion and a determination to help, and also shape the hearts and voices of opinion formers in the media and of political leaders that they may be turned towards solutions that are just and humane. Gracious Lord, hear our prayers. Abba Father, we thank you for the work of Mercy Ships and their floating hospital ship, the Africa Mercy. Mercy Ships is one of St. Jude's mission partners. As the ship is heading towards the, part, the port of Thomasina in eastern Madagascar, we pray that all the preparations on board and at the port will go well, so that the time the ship is in port will bring relief to pain and suffering for many who have little access to any other medical care. We ask that the work in training locals to provide better care will be fruitful. We pray that all the Mercy Ship staff will be living witnesses to your love. The demands are great and the staff are nearly all volunteers, so grant them your strength and set your healing power at work through them. Gracious Lord, hear our prayers. Abba Father, we pray for those who are housebound by reason of illness, infirmity or injury. Grant them an awareness that you are with them in their distress and restriction of movement. We thank you for family, friends, and professional support, all of whom bring them practical assistance and company. We praise you for the human ingenuity which has provided new means of communication and aids to movement for the housebound. 
We pray also for those who are unable to live independently. Grant them a sense of peace in place of frustration. Lead those who help them to be perceptive of their needs and loving and gentle in their support. Grant us all open hearts, space in our lives to help, and open wallets, whether giving to charity or being prepared to pay our taxes, so that all the housebound and those benefiting from assisted living may know that they are loved, valued, remembered, and provided for. Gracious Lord, hear our prayers. Abba Father, you are a healer. As Isaiah wrote, by his wounds we are healed. So we pray for the complete healing of all those whom we have already prayed for here tonight. For the complete healing of G. Fry, David Gorman, baby Joshua Lardner, Margaret Turner, Mary Hemsley, Mary Thurlow, Theo Roberts, those injured in armed conflict, those known to us personally. Gracious Lord, hear our prayers. Abba Father, you comfort those who mourn, so be close to the bereaved family and friends of Shirley Wills and Sandra Scora, whose funeral is this week in Leeds. Also, for the families of victims of armed conflict, whether near or far. We bring these prayers to you in the name of your Son, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. reading this evening is taken from John chapter 14 verses 1 to 10 and may be found in your church Bible at uh, page 1082 <clears throat> doesn't appear to be on the screen behind me so I'll read from directly John 14 verse 1 Jesus comforts his disciples do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going, Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father 
except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, <clears throat> it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Dick, can I pray for you before you go and share? Just stretch out your, your hands to, to Jit and just um, let's lift him up in prayer. Lord Jesus, come by your Holy Spirit. Lord, fill Jit right now. May the words he speak be um, streams of living water, speaking directly into our hearts. Fill him now afresh, I pray. Amen. Amen. Fran, thanks very much. Well, can I encourage you to just keep your Bibles open at that passage, that well-known passage that's uh, very much beloved by many of us. In fact, when I first became a Christian, I found myself reading the Bible on rotation, and two passages, actually, I used to read night after night after night. First was the book of Ephesians, don't ask. But the second was this bit, actually, the last discourse, Jesus' parting instructions to his disciples, and commend to you if you've never read them. Just read through from John 14 through to 17, some of the profoundest words the world has ever heard. And we've got the privilege this morning, uh, this evening, excuse me, of digging into them. But I want to start, actually, by not looking straight at the text. I'm going to read a bit of a story, actually. Some of you may have read the book by Hannah Hunar called Hind's Feet on High Places. It's a Christian classic. It's kind of an allegorical story about a deer called Much Afraid who's invited to come to the high places of the mountain by the shepherd. But first, she has to be led through a valley and a dark and desperate wilderness. And in one of the chapters, Detour Through the Desert, she wrestles with obeying this, and, she, and it goes like this. I can't go down there, panted Much Afraid sick with shock and fear. He can never mean that, the shepherd, never. He called me up to the high places, and this is an absolute contradiction of all that he promised. Then she lifted up her voice and called desperately, Shepherd, come to me. Oh, I need you. Come and help me. And in a moment he was there, standing beside her. Shepherd, she said despairingly, I can't understand this. The guide you gave me say that we must go down there into that desert, turning right away from the high places altogether. You don't mean that, do you? You can't contradict yourself. Tell them not to go, that we're not to go there. Show us another way. Make a way for us, shepherd, as you promised. He looked at her, the shepherd, and answered very gently, That is the path, much afraid, and you are to go down there. Oh no, she cried, you can't mean it. You said that if I would trust you, 
you would bring me to the high places and that path leads away from them. It contradicts all that you promised. No, said the shepherd, it is not a contradiction, only postponement for the best to become possible. What we're looking at this evening is that situation that the disciples faced as Jesus spoke these words. They thought that Jesus was going to lead them to the high places, to the places of glory and of triumph and of victory. But actually, he starts speaking about some dark and low places, the cross and his death and his suffering and his parting from them and the fact that he's going to have to leave them. And they're crying out, saying, surely this isn't the way it's supposed to be. We're confused. Surely you are the Messiah. Surely this is wrong. And Jesus is saying, no. No, this is the way it must happen. This is actually the way it was intended all along, for the best to become possible. And of course, we standing on the other side of the cross know that that is exactly what happened. So that the best could become possible. So that we could receive the merits of his death on the cross. But for these disciples, these were troubling times. Difficult to understand. Hard to comprehend. And what we're looking at this evening are those times, actually. We're looking at the I am statements in the evening services, and we've come to this well-known one, but I want to approach it in a slightly different way. Because the context of this passage is of great trouble. The disciples are troubled. But at the same time, Jesus seeks to bring comfort to them. They're troubled because Jesus has been telling them that he's going to go away. He's been telling them that one of their chief leaders of Peter was going to deny him three times. They're troubled because Jesus even said that one of them is going to betray him. All that's happened in chapter 13. And so he begins with the words, do not let your hearts be troubled. And of course, the immediate question is, how can he say that? How can he say that? Doesn't he know what the disciples are feeling? Doesn't he know what they're experiencing? Doesn't he know that all these things are like a cloud that's descended on their minds? And he says, no, do not be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Notice what he does there. He doesn't say, it's going to be okay if you do this or if you do that. If you run to this place or if you run to that place. It's going to be okay if you can just distract yourself from these troubles. Now, his solution to troubles is to point to himself and says, it's me. I'm the one that means that you you can actually sell through these things. I'm the one that means that you don't have to be troubled in the midst of these troubles. And what I want to do very briefly this evening is just say from this passage two reasons why. Two reasons why Jesus can take the fingers that would point at troubles and say, no, point them to me and let me minister to them. And it might be here in this place tonight. You've come with troubles. You know what troubles look like. They might be afflicting you right now. It might be for some, actually. You're in an okay place, but this might be a word for the future. When troubles, no doubt, will come. There's that song by Torben Dean that they sang to. There may be troubles ahead. 
There may well be troubles ahead. I know you're shaking your head at that. And may this be a word of preparation, perhaps, for those things. Do do I need to change microphone? Can you just use the lectern mic? Great. Can you hear me okay? Wonderful. I'm just going to use this microphone. Two really simple things from this passage about why we can face troubles and not be troubled by them. All to do with Jesus. And the first is this. Jesus shows us a trustworthy God. He shows us that God can be trusted. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. And that first half of the sentence would have been obvious. Israelites as children would have been taught from an early age to trust in Yahweh, the one who delivered them from the grip of Egypt, the one who led them safely through to the promised land, the one who had been with them. They would have understood that completely. But he adds something else. He says, trust also in me. Something really controversial here. He's saying, put me on the same level as Yahweh. Put me on the same level as God. You can trust me as much as you in your history have trusted God. In fact, at the end of our passage, he takes it further. He says, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. That anything that he does is the Father living in him who is doing his work. He puts himself and God on the same level and say, if you trust God, well, trust also in me, because I am God, come down amongst you, revealing what he's like. And the reason that this is so important for the disciples and for us is very simply that we can have all kinds of questions as to what God is like and what he might do in our lives. In one sense, God is a out there creator, omnipotent and omniscient, someone to be feared rightly, the king of the universe, and yet very hard to know because of that. You know, and Jesus says that he is the Father in the flesh, that he and the Father are one. He says, here's what he's like. Just look at my life, and I'll show you what God is like. And it's a God who can be trusted, a God who can be followed, a God who actually cares and loves for you. Bible commentator F.D. Brunner puts it like this. Jesus' disclosure of God the Father gives us great hope that the Father will be, and indeed is and always has been, very, very good. Very practically, this should mean that when we read our Bibles and we read the Gospel passages about Jesus, as we do Sunday by Sunday, We're to see that actually the same Jesus and the same person who did these things 2,000 years ago is the same Jesus and the same God who does them today. That's why we've just been praying for healing. That's why we've just been seeking God in our prayers. He hasn't changed. But Jesus reveals exactly what God does. So when we see that Jesus walks on water doing the impossible, we can actually say, this is what our God is like. He does the impossible. When we see him healing the sick, 
and restoring the broken, we can say, this is exactly what our God does. He heals the sick and restores the broken. When we see him forgiving and taking away shame, like the woman caught in adultery, we can say, this is exactly what he's like for us. He forgives us, he takes away shame. When we see him multiplying the little to feed the many, he's exactly the same today. He can multiply the little we have to make it abound for many. This is the same God whom we've been worshipping, who we follow today. Jesus shows us exactly what he's like. And he says, hello, <laughs> goodbye. He doesn't say that. But what he says is, if this is what God is like, I want you to do one thing and one thing only. I want you to trust. I want you to trust me. It's interesting that uh, yesterday when I was on the walk that you heard about earlier, I had to do a lot of trusting of a certain person who is sat on the end of that row there being led through muddy fields and interesting paths and up steep hills. There was a lot of trust there, Nick. But actually, there was a sense in which I did trust you. Because I knew what you were like. I knew that actually you'd done this before. That actually you could be trusted. And he got us safely home, thankfully. Thank you very much. When Jesus says to trust him, he's saying the same thing. He's saying... Realize exactly who I am. See the things that I do. See just how good I am to people. And trust me. The word here for trust is a Greek word, pisteo, which you can either translate as trust or believe, but neither of them kind of get the exact weight of the word. It's actually something much deeper on a deep and heartfelt level. There's a story of an old missionary called John Patton who in the last century was trying to translate this word. He went out as a missionary to the uh, New Hebrides in the South Indian Ocean and to a tribe of cannibals who uh, ate each other on a regular basis. And they didn't actually have a word for trust in their language. And so he was trying to translate verses like this and trying to work out how can I translate this word? They don't have the word for trust. Until one day, actually, he came across a, a brainwave. His attendant came into the room, and he was leaning on his chair, and he decided to ask the attendant, so what am I doing? And he said, I'm sitting on a chair. You're sitting on a chair, sorry. And then he leant back on his chair onto the back two feet of the chair, and he asked again, so what am I doing? And the attendants used a special word for leaning and putting all your weight on. And that was the word, actually, that John Patton chose to use to translate this word, to trust. To lean on and to put all your weight on. And that's what Jesus is saying here. To lean on and put all your weight on. I know that for some here, you've been doing this, and it's a scary thing, because... You've got no control over it, have you? That actually, as you lean on him, you're relying on him not to give way. For some here, it might be that God is forcing you to do that. 
He's deliberately leading you to that place to lean on him. And if he is, don't resist it. Do not resist it. He says, trust in God, trust also in me, Jesus says. And my testimony, testimony of many here, is that as you lean on him, he is trustworthy. He doesn't give way. He supports, he strengthens, he enables you, actually, in the midst of troubles to carry on and to even turn those troubles into things of joy and blessing. So I encourage you this evening to do that. Well, that was the first thing. Jesus shows us a trustworthy God. Secondly, Jesus brings us safely through to the other side. In the passage again, the next bit of insurance that Jesus gives to his disciples is one of future hope, which for them is a bit out of left field. Their troubles are very much in the present. Their master is about to leave them. They're about to be left defenseless. What's going to happen? And Jesus starts talking about the distant future. Verses 2 and 3, he says, In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have tell you. I'm going there to prepare a place before you. And if I go and prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you may be with me also where I am. Now, of course, he's talking about his death, his resurrection, his ascension to the Father's right-hand side. And he's saying that as surely as I'm going there, I'm going to send my spirit upon you. I'm going to come and take you to that place also, guiding you along the way, pointing you towards that place, and assuring you that you are going to be there with me. It's a great, broad, sweet picture. But the question that the disciples probably had, and that we might have, is, well, how does that help in the here and now? Yes, that sounds great for the future, but what about now? I think the key thing that Jesus is trying to get across here is that promise. Verse 3, if I go, I will come back and take you to be with me. That actually, whatever you might face in this life, blue screens, troubles, trials, whatever you might face, the ultimate end of our lives is certain. That it's sure that whatever happens, he will take us there. That nothing is going to stop that in the end. Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. So there's nothing that can be thrown at you. There's no person that can get annoyed with you. There's no difficult situation at work or in your family or personal illness and tragedy. Nothing that's going to stop Jesus from bringing you from this place to that place. That place where he promised you will be with him also. It's going to be tough in the middle. It may very well be really tough for some, but nothing is going to stop that. So the truth is that Jesus never, ever promises a trouble-free life. In fact, he promises the opposite. He says later on in this discourse, in this world you will have troubles. He promises it. But he's the only one that promises that in the midst of these troubles, I will be with you. I'll be with you. And this is a 
assurance the Comforter gives to his disciples then, and the assurance and the comfort he gives to us now. Julian of Norwich was a 13th century English mystic who uh, saw visions of God in the midst of the dark ages when no one really knew about God, or what they did was just inherited religion and the Bible was hardly ever opened. And so God had to use her to re-speak revelation that had been lost over the ages. And so God gave her a series of visions. And in one of her most famous ones, the 13th one, she was asking God, God, what about all this suffering? What about all this sin? Why did you create a world like this that I've experienced that other people have experienced? And she expected God to show up in an amazing vision to give the solution and the answer to it all. But instead, she wrote down, she heard God say this. It was necessary that there should be sin. But all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all, all manner of things shall be well. That's all God would say on the matter, but that's all that she needed to hear. And for you, you might not understand why there are things going on in your life as they are. You may well rightly rail against God sometimes and say, why? Why? I thought you loved me. I thought you were all-powerful. What's going on? Why have you led me to this place? And he may never give you the answer to that. But what he says is, all shall be well. And all manner of things in the end shall be well. He promises it. It's often been said that in the end, it's all going to be okay. And if it's not okay, well, it's not the end. It's not the end. Just like I trusted Nick to get us there in the end, and it was okay. But you can trust him. He will do it. He'll bring you safely there. Well, for the disciples, that led to a very practical question. How? How is he going to do it? They want to know. Thomas, the intrepid Thomas, the doubting Thomas, says in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? What Thomas wants is a roadmap from Jesus so that he can see exactly where he's going, to see the roads, to see the signposts, and to see the end point. That's what he wants. But that, interestingly, is not what Jesus gives. Instead, he says, I'm not giving you a roadmap. I'm giving you myself. Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He says that if you want me to lead you safely all the way to that place, well, I'm not going to leave you to do it by yourself. I'm not going to simply give you a roadmap and let you wander there. That's not how I do it. Instead, I'm going to give you myself as the way. I'm going to give you myself as the truth about how to get there. And I'm going to give you myself as the life that you'll live in the meantime. And as much as he says it to the disciples then, he says the same things to us today. Most of us would love a roadmap for life. Who here would love to see exactly how it's all going to work out? Most of us. Most of us would like us to see the, 
way it's going to work out for our families, for our friends, for this nation. We want to see exactly what it's going to be like. And God may well reveal some of that, but he'll never give you the full picture. What he gives instead is himself. He says, actually, I'm going to be enough for you. I'm going to bring you safely through to that other place. In the midst of troubles and trials, it's me. You're getting me instead, much better. And I want to end with a story of this that um, had national implications, really. Many of you have probably seen the film The King's Speech, which is about uh, King George's speech impediment that he had to overcome, which was critical, actually, because of the upcoming war that actually he was pivotal in. And there's a well-known radio broadcast that he made at Christmas in 1939 where he declared to the nation that they were at war with Germany. It was similar to kind of the Queen's speech that we get televised nowadays. And in it, he officially established the outbreak of the war. And he spoke to what was frankly a fearful nature, nation who were worried about the future, not sure what was going to happen. He spoke clearly into their lives. And actually, historians looking back say it was a turning point that galvanized the nation to action. And as he was speaking, he led the nation to a poem that wasn't really well known at the time, but has become really well known since. It's by uh, a, a, an unknown uh, lady at the time, and it's called The Gate of the Year. It speaks to what Jesus is saying here. And it goes like this. I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be better to you than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth, and finding the hand of God, trod gladly into the night. It may be that you need that this evening. To find the hand of God. To simply say, I'm putting my hand into your hands. I don't know the way. You haven't given me light to see it completely. But I'm putting my hand in yours. I'm trusting you to lead me forward, because that's the best way. That's the truth. That's, that's the life that I want. I'm trusting you. I invite you to stand, and we're going to pray into some of these words that Jesus said in these passages. Charlie and Nick, why don't you lead us in a song? And just in this time, just to be very honest with God, encourage you to think about things that you might be facing that you want to trust him for to place your hand into his hand to lean on him with all your weight let's sing together I, um, I didn't feel the, the need to share this earlier, but then uh, when I was listening to Victoria, 
and uh, and to Jit's talk. I thought I'd, I felt God calling me to, to share this one with you. Um, so, so now will testify to the fact that when things don't go to plan, me being a planner by nature, I tend to panic and tend to try and do whatever I can to to sort the situation out. Um, and yesterday, uh, I mean, it, it's a relatively small thing, but I, I, after we got back from our expedition, I started to develop a headache, and I tried to drink lots of water, which is my normal thing. Nothing, nothing improved it. Tried lying down, and only got worse, and I couldn't get comfortable. And I. Uh, took some pills, which we had, um, to try to, to appease it. But whatever I did, I, I, it just got worse, and I didn't get any more comf comfortable. Um, but unbeknownst to me, um, having wandered down to the, uh, the hall uh, where we'd been having our dinner in my pyjamas, <laughs> desperate for some new help, um, uh, I got some pills off, off Sanam. Um, unbeknownst to me, having seen this, the group prayed for me and normally when I take painkillers they may re provide some relief uh, but I'd certainly be suffering the following morning but I had full healing that night before I slept um, and there was no headache afterwards and what I wanted to share that with you is first picking on what Jit was saying, to trust in God, to lean on him, um, because he, he is the source of provision, the source of healing. And also, for those of you like Victoria and, and David and so on, who are, who are faithful um, prayer, prayer leaders, to, to be encouraged that even when the person you're praying for doesn't have faith, your faith alone can be sufficient to heal them. Um, because God is faithful and he hears our prayers. Okay. Dear Lord, um, you're faithful, you're true, you are the one true way in our lives. You're the only source of purpose and fulfillment in our lives, Lord Jesus, and as we go out for our weeks ahead, Lord Jesus. Let us trust in you to lead us on our path, whatever the weeks might hold ahead of us, Lord, that by trusting in you, Lord Jesus, we, we would shine our lights brightly in the world for you, Lord. We would be lights and salt in the world, Lord, that others might come to trust in you and hold your hand to be led to the hope that never fails. We ask these things in your name. Amen.